Hey everyone, welcome again to Daily Gospel Exegesis. As always, we were going to take a look at the text from the Gospel of today's Mass, and we're really going to dive into it. What does the text mean on the fundamental level? How do we go about doing a proper exegesis, a proper understanding of the text? Which is the goal of this podcast, to help you understand the very text itself a little better. Today we're going to look at Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the crowd pressing round him, listening to the word of God, when he caught sight of two boats close to the bank. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, it was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and pay out your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But if you say so, I will pay out the nets. And when he had done this, they netted such a huge number of fish that their nets began to tear, so they signaled to their companions in the other boat to come and help them. When these came, they filled the two boats to sinking point. When Simon Peter heard, saw this, he fell at the knees of Jesus, saying, Leave me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were completely overcome by the catch they had made. So also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were Simon's partners. But Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, it is men you will catch. Then, bringing their boats back to land, they left everything and followed him. So, as always, we want to start by asking, what's the context? What has happened just before this? And what we're looking at today, it's a pretty well-known passage for many of you, I'm sure, who have been around the Bible for a while. So, Jesus has just begun his ministry in Galilee. It's pretty early on. And we're starting at verse 1. Jesus was standing one day... Now, when we're dealing with, uh, on this podcast, it's always important to point out um, some things that the lectionary has added in. We're looking at the lectionary translation that um, of the general Roman lectionary, which is what most countries in the Catholic Church use, and they deliberately use translations that are a bit more, um, a bit more well-suited to daily gospel preaching, and that means sometimes they change some words and add some things in. So, just this is a useful exegetical tool. You should always compare the text you're looking at with other translations, if you want to do a proper study of it. So our text today in verse one says, Jesus was standing one day. Now, if you look at your Bible, it doesn't say one day at all. That's something the lectionary has put in to make it sound a bit more, uh, a bit more kind of storytelling like, isn't it? One day Jesus was standing here. It doesn't actually say one day. So because that's not in the original, it literally just says Jesus was standing. This probably means the incident we're looking at happened around the time of the previous ones. He's standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, that's another name for the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias. It has quite a few names. If you look at a map of Israel, the Sea of Galilee is in the northern part of Israel. It's quite a nice country area. This is where Jesus spends the majority of his time. It's not down the bottom in Jerusalem. Jesus, most of the time, is in the north in Galilee. You can actually go there today. This region is still uh, looks pretty similar, at least in terms of the major landmarks that it did um, in Jesus' day, so you can go up, you can go to the Sea of Galilee, you can explore the hills around there, and it's quite a beautiful place. 
the lake itself is pretty small. It's only about eight miles across. And this is the scene of, of course, of course, lots of the incidents in Jesus' life, like walking on the water and the storm on the sea. So it says the crowd is pressing around him. The other Gospels make it clear that there's huge crowds here and it's actually quite uncomfortable. People are jostling and pushing each other to see Jesus. And it says they're listening to the word of God. Notice this, it's not listening to Jesus preach, it's listening to the word of God. Now, we know that Jesus here is probably not just reading from the Old Testament, is he? He's probably giving them parables, he's probably giving them teachings about God's will. But here, Luke calls it the word of God. Isn't that interesting? So, according to Luke, and in fact, according to the Jewish mind at the time, the word of God didn't just mean the Old Testament. It didn't just mean the scriptures. The word of God was actually broader than that. Um... In fact, if you think about it, most of Jesus' words here, whatever he was saying on this occasion, most although we have some of it, most of what Jesus said on this occasion and many others in his life didn't actually make it into the Bible. There's some things that Jesus said that would have counted as the word of God, but that we don't have in the Bible. And that's important to keep in mind. The word of God is broader than just the Bible. And clearly that is Catholic teaching. That informs the Catholic understanding that the word of God It can include things like um, written tradition, as well as oral tradition, as well as other things as well. Remember, Jesus himself is the word of God. So I just think that that's quite fascinating that even Luke this early on says uh, Jesus talking is the word of God. It's not just the things that are written down. Verse two, when he caught sight of two boats close to the bank. So What it actually says here is when Jesus saw this. So it's probably not an accident. Jesus, being the son of God, knows who's going to be near the boat. So he deliberately looks in the direction of the boats. He sees two boats close to the bank and the fishermen had gone out of them. So the men have gotten out of the boat. They're on the shore cleaning up after their fish at night time. Now, we need to keep in mind these fishermen, who we later learn are Simon and his friends, probably his brother Andrew as well, these are professional fishermen. They're not recreational fishermen. This, this is their job. They, um, they catch fish in order to sell them to make money. And it was pretty common for people in the, to be in the family business together, as it appears that Simon and Andrew were. And they're washing their nets. The nets they were using, we're not sure exactly. There's different theories about what the nets would have been. That There was different types of nets in use at that time. There was large circular nets and they were thrown from a standing position in shallow water. They could have also been using what's called trammel nets, which are used at night time. And they're kind of multi-layered and they're designed for trapping fish. Um, So it's interesting that we actually have archaeological evidence of the kind of um, nets they would have used. Verse 3, he got into one of the boats. It was Simon's. Now, Jesus has actually met Simon earlier. He meets him in John chapter 1, which is before Jesus even starts his official ministry. So this is apparently not the first time that Simon and Jesus have met. But now we are going to see Jesus do his official call of Peter. So he gets into Simon's boat and he asked him to put out a little from the land. So Jesus jumps in Peter's boat, which is kind of like a big canoe, really, and asks him to push him out into the water. There he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. Now, Luke's gospel doesn't say this, but the others do. The other gospels make it clear that the main reason Jesus wants to be pushed out into the water is to help teach the crowd. That's all getting too crowded at the shore. People are jostling him. So to avoid that, he gets in the boat 
And it's actually quite good because from the boat position, he can speak to the crowd and his voice would carry over water so that lots of people could hear him. If they wanted to sit on the hills of the Sea of Galilee, they could still hear him teach. So it's actually a very good arrangement. So Jesus is sitting in the boat. Often you'll see these movies and TV show representations of Jesus uh, as though he's sort of standing up teaching from the boat. He's actually sitting down and that was the traditional posture for teaching. Verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon. Now, even that's interesting, isn't it? He's finished speaking to the crowds, but now he turns his attention deliberately to Simon. Put out into deep water and pay out your nets for a catch. The pay out there, that's an interesting translation. We're more used to let down your nets. So he tells Peter to go out into deep water and to let down his nets for a catch. So... It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus is out on the boat for two reasons. So he can help teach the crowd better and also to um, have this intimate personal encounter with Simon. Jesus was probably planning this all along. He probably deliberately picked Peter's boat. In fact, he almost certainly picked Peter's boat. Interestingly, the word nets here is plural. Put out your deep water, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. So that would probably indicate there's other fishes on the boat here possibly including Peter's brother, Andrew. The other Gospels make it clear that Andrew is involved in this scene as well. Now that phrase, you might have heard that put out into the deep, given sort of different spiritual connotations. And perhaps there is something to that. Maybe there's a deeper spiritual call for all Christians to put out into the deep and to trust Jesus. Um, Pope John Paul II and Pope Benedict XVI have both kind of offered spiritual interpretations of that phrase in their writings. Now, in this podcast, we're more interested in the literal sense. What does it mean on the most fundamental level? And here, Jesus is just saying to Peter, go out a bit further into the lake. Verse 5, master is what Peter says. So even at this point, Peter respects Jesus as a rabbi. He wouldn't call him master otherwise. We worked hard all night long and caught nothing. And really, that's a fisherman's worst nightmare, isn't it? Because they need the fish in order to survive on their income. And they've been working all night trying to catch fish and they haven't been able to. But then Simon follows it up with this. But if you say so, I will pay out the nets. There's a lot we could say about this, isn't there? Peter doesn't understand, but he does obey Jesus. He says, if you say so, I will do it. So Peter places his faith in Jesus, despite the apparent odds of anything happening. And We can say he's one of the first people to put faith in Jesus' words. He Certainly Mary did that. Um, Well, She put faith in God's word. And now Peter is doing the same thing with Jesus. He says, look, I don't really understand it, but I'll I'll trust you. Verse 6, when they had done this, they netted such a huge number of fish that their nets began to tear. Now, this is a huge amount of fish. This is more than a fisherman would normally catch. Their nets are tearing. The nets that are designed to catch a lot of fish are tearing. So Jesus here performs a nature miracle, as it's often called. The Gospels often don't tell us, in fact, pretty much they never tell us, how Jesus does these miracles. And there's probably a reason for that, which is that we don't know how Jesus did these miracles. So it could be that Jesus miraculously made those fish on the spot. He created them out of nothing on the spot. Maybe he drew them all in from elsewhere at that time. Or perhaps, and this is kind of an interesting possibility, maybe Jesus had been calling the fish even from a couple of days earlier so that they would arrive in the Sea of Galilee at this very moment. It's interesting to think of that Jesus was maybe setting all of this up even days before, but we really don't know. That would just be speculation. Verse 7, 
So they signal to their companions in the other boat to come and help them. So Simon apparently fishes with a few other people. This, this is a business that employs a few people. When these came, they filled the two boats to sinking point. Now, some scholars think there might be some symbolism here to the two boats, because Luke often emphasizes the fact that the, uh, Jesus has opened up uh, the kingdom of God to both Jews and Gentiles. So some scholars think that maybe that's what the two boats represent, that the apostles will be gathering fish, which is people, and maybe the two boats represents the Jewish part of the church and the Gentile part of the church. There might be something in that. Verse 8, when Simon Peter felt or saw this, he fell at the knees of Jesus. So it, this is a good one to picture, isn't it? He's overcome by emotion and his own unworthiness. Now, they could actually still be on the boat while this is happening. It's not clear, or maybe they've arrived at the shore now. But Peter is falling at the knees of Jesus. His full name is used here, interestingly, Simon Peter, whereas earlier it was just Simon. Luke is probably doing that deliberately because the Peter, the name Peter, is mostly associated with his role as leader of the apostles. And here, Luke probably discerns that this incident with Jesus has apostolic significance. It's kind of where um, Peter starts his journey as an apostle, and that's why Luke calls him Simon Peter. And he says to Jesus, leave me, Lord, I am a sinful man. So Peter recognizes that a miracle has taken place, and he knows that Jesus is the one who has granted it. In that moment, Peter recognizes his own sinfulness and he does not feel worthy of the miracle. In fact, he probably doesn't even feel worthy to be in the presence of this incredible teacher sent from God. This recalls Isaiah's reaction when he had a vision of God. You've probably all heard of that scene in Isaiah where he has a vision of the throne room of God and he says, I am a man of unclean lips. That's in Isaiah chapter 6. It's a similar reaction here from Um, from Peter. In fact, maybe there's a deliberate parallel here. Maybe Peter is recognizing that Jesus is God. In fact, he calls him here Lord. Usually, well, in fact, earlier in this gospel, um, in fact, in the same passage, what did Peter call Jesus? He called him Master, but now he calls him Lord. And usually in Luke's gospel, that refers to God. So if, if that's right, if if Peter is calling Jesus God, he's the very first person to call Jesus by this title. Now, it may not mean that because Lord can have different meanings. And that's something that scholars wonder about. Verse 9, for he and all his companions were completely overcome by the catch they had made. Or astonished is another word there. So all of the fishermen are amazed at what has just taken place. It wasn't just Peter who saw this. Several fishermen saw the miracle happen. And that's interesting to think about, isn't it? Not all of them follow Jesus, even though they've all witnessed the exact same thing. There's an important lesson here. Often you'll hear this claim from people today that they will believe in God if he does a big enough miracle. Well, pretty repeatedly in the Gospels, people see miracles, but it doesn't necessarily translate to following God as a result. Some people find other explanations for it. There's an interesting link here with this story of Um, the big catch of fish. And there's another similar story which happens at the end of John's gospel after Jesus is risen from the dead. It's a very similar thing. They get a massive catch of fish, but there are some differences. Um, For example, Peter hauls in the catch all by himself in that story. And obviously it's after Jesus' resurrection. There's some interesting parallels there. And we'll talk about that when we look at that incident later in the gospel of John. It's usually read around um, just after Easter time. Verse 10, so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were Simon's partners. 
So we, we learn now that same James and John were here at this scene as well. The other Gospels give them a bit more attention. So they're the sons of Zebedee, and we know that they had their own fishing business. And in fact, it's quite a good business that's doing quite well. And based on the language that's used here, they're Simon's partners. That means they probably run their own businesses. Simon has his business, James and John have their business, but they kind of had like a business cooperative, a co-op of some sort happening, um, which makes sense because Capernaum is not a huge town. If you see the TV series, The Chosen, um, I think they kind of set this up pretty well, that they do depict Simon as being friends with James and John and being in the same fishing industry um, with them, even before they're called to be apostles. Jesus says to Peter, do not be afraid. So Jesus reassures Peter that although the miracle he has just seen is astonishing, Jesus basically promises to look after him. Do not be afraid. These are pretty common words in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to keep hearing this in the coming weeks. He then says these famous words, from now on, it is men you will catch. Other Gospels have this as, you will be fishers of men. Basically, what that means is you will do something far greater and more significant than catching fish. And the metaphor seems to be they're going to catch people and bring them into the kingdom of God. And in this sense, the miraculous haul of fish is symbolic of the work that Jesus wants him to do. He's shown Peter that he can bring in a miraculous um, haul of fish, but he's pointing him towards a greater fulfillment of that that Peter will accomplish later in his life. That is something that the apostles would do as leaders of the church. They would bring in a miraculous haul of people. And of course, Peter in particular is going to play a key role in that. Interestingly, in the very next chapter of Luke, chapter 6, the Greek words here for a great number, so when it says here a great number of fish are hauled in, those same Greek words are used in chapter 6 when Jesus preaches to a great number of people. And they're both Jews and Gentiles in chapter 6. So some scholars think Luke is deliberately setting up the fact that all through this, Jesus is signaling that Jews and Gentiles are about to both have massive access to the kingdom. The same Greek words there are used. Verse 11, this is the last verse. Then bringing their boats back to land, they left everything and followed him. And we talk about this more when we look at Matthew and Mark's um, version of this. But in that culture, it was pretty common for Jews to follow a rabbi. But usually the follower would pick the rabbi. Whereas here, Jesus takes the initiative. He picks the disciples. Um, So there must have been something quite captivating about Jesus because they immediately followed him. And they basically pack up and leave Jesus straight away. That is such a massive thing because these men all work to support their families as fishermen, but they all pack up and leave it. They're leaving their entire livelihood behind. And on top of that, they're trusting. They don't really know what's going to happen in the next few years. They're just trusting that Jesus will look after them. They follow Jesus wherever he goes. That includes nights of sleeping in tents. Um, It's quite a massive sacrifice that they make here to just drop everything and pursue this life with Jesus. They would have been quite uncertain about the future, and yet they trust that there's something special about Jesus. Luke's gospel in particular, as we'll see, it stresses the necessity of being willing to leave worldly possessions behind in order to serve the gospel. So here what we've seen is the call of Peter in particular, and it's also the call of Andrew, James, and John. These are basically the first four apostles, and they're the ones that go on to become Jesus' inner circle. 
So we've read the start of Luke chapter 5. Now, the next parts of Luke chapter 5 are spread out across the liturgical year at different times. So I'll just quickly run through where you can find the next few passages if you want to follow Luke through chronologically. So verses 12 to 16, which is the next section, that's when there's the cleansing of the leper. That's read on January 11th every year. So you can go back through the podcast archives. January 11th is the next section. Then verse 17 to 26, that's about the healing of the paralytic, the one that's lowered through the roof. That's read on Monday in week two of Advent. And then verses 27 to 32, that's about the call of Matthew or Levi, the tax collector. That's read on Saturday after Ash Wednesday. So they're actually scattered all over the place. Um, So January 11th, Monday in week two of Advent, and then Saturday after Ash Wednesday. And there's episodes available for all of those in the podcast archives. So in the next um, episode, we're going to pick it up from verse 33 of Luke chapter 5. Let's now turn to the catechism. What does the Catholic Church uh, learn from this passage? How can it inform its teaching? Well, if we turn to paragraph 208, this is about God's identity. It's in the section about I am who I am. Here's what it says. Faced with God's fascinating and mysterious presence, man discovers his own insignificance. Before the burning bush, Moses takes off his sandals and veils his face in the presence of God's holiness. Before the glory of the thrice holy God, Isaiah cries out, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. Before the divine signs wrought by Jesus, Peter exclaims, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. But because God is holy, he can forgive the man who realizes he is a sinner before him. Quite an interesting paragraph, isn't it? It confirms that there is a link here between the Isaiah, um, the thing that Isaiah declares and the thing that Peter declares about recognizing his own sinfulness. But as that last part there says, as Catholics, we believe that God can forgive any man who recognizes that he's a sinner. And Peter is a good example of that. Often Peter gets a bit of a bad rap of, of someone who's, you know, puts his foot in his mouth and he's a bit reactive. And that's probably true. But Clearly, at moments like this, it's clear that Peter is someone who recognizes his own sin, and not all men can do that. Certainly, some of the other fishes in the boat in today's scene did not realize any spiritual significance um, to the miracle that Jesus performed. Okay, hopefully you got a new perspective on this today and learnt some new things, and we'll continue in Luke in the coming days.